If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is our number one of the World According to Zig podcast for this March 9th, 2019. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. For those who have not heard of it yet, please make sure you check out the Individual One podcast, which is about the presidency of uh, Donald J. Trump. You can uh, find that wherever you get uh, podcasts and at our website, freespeechbroadcasting.com. That's where you'll get the political news of the week for this particular week of podcast, but uh, this time we're going to be doing things uh, rather differently when it comes to the world according to Zig. We've done two hours of the World According to Zig podcast, both surrounding uh, pretty significant and newsmaking interviews that come out of a huge controversy involving an HBO quote-unquote documentary by the name of Leaving Neverland, which is the story of two accusers of Michael Jackson who now are accusing Jackson of massive sexual abuse from many, many years ago. Uh, Those two men are Wade Robeson and James Safechuck. And as you probably are aware, I unfortunately, and I hate the fact that this has happened, I've become somewhat of an expert in discerning whether or not these types of stories are real or not, largely because of my experience in the uh, Penn State Joe Paterno Jerry Sandusky case. Uh, I do not like that this has happened. Uh, My wife does not like that this has happened. Uh, But unfortunately, there's no one else who's willing or able uh, to at least say, hold on a second. Wait a minute. Let's look at the facts here and figure out whether or not we're looking at these stories via emotion or with some sense of rationality and whether or not uh, these stories are fact-based and can hand up, ha- hold up under any sense of scrutiny. And that was my biggest problem with the Leaving Neverland documentary. It was not a documentary. It was exceedingly unfair. Michael Jackson, and I wrote this for Mediaite, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, or just Google it. As I wrote there, the headline, Michael Jackson could be guilty as hell of being a pedophile. And maybe he is. But even if he's guilty, leaving Neverland was very unfair. And I have an extreme, and I don't know why this is. It's probably because of my mother. She must have instilled into me way too much. But I have an exceedingly strong aversion to unfairness. I can't stand it. 
I can't even watch a sporting event when I think the refereeing has been unfair. Even if the team I'm rooting for is winning, it just bothers me that much. And I also can't stand lying. So when you combine complete unfairness and abject lying, even if it's about somebody that I don't even really like that much, like, for instance, Michael Jackson, it's going to bother me greatly. And, of course, (laughs) my wife knows this all too well. When something bothers me greatly, I just don't sit there and go, oh, that sucks. If I can, I try to do something about it. And so I have been at the forefront of a lot of these types of stories, and uh, for better or for worse, I'm starting to become at the forefront of this one because in this hour, we are going to be doing a what I think is the most important interview ever done regarding leaving Neverland, probably even more important than the two accusers themselves, and that is with Brandy Jackson. Brandy Jackson, you should have heard about. In fact, she should have been in this documentary film. She should have been interviewed for it. Had she been, I'm not sure HBO would have ever even aired the thing. Brandy Jackson is one of Michael Jackson's nieces. She also happened to have dated Wade Robeson, really the star of the film Leaving Neverland. She didn't just date him for a short period of time. She dated him for about eight years. She dated him during the time period of the alleged sexual abuse by her uncle Michael. And, of course, those eight years being from about 12 to about 20 are pretty much the most formative years, especially with regard to romance and sexuality, that any human being can experience. So you would think that Brandy Jackson, the one member of the Jackson family who, by the way, is fully willing to acknowledge they did have sex with Wade Robeson, would be somebody that the documentary would be interested in. But not only do they not speak to her, They don't even mention her. And that, to me, blows apart the credibility of the entire project. Look, uh, you know, everything is theoretically possible. But when you're censoring key information from a four-hour film plus a one-hour Oprah Winfrey post-game show, when you're censoring key information, I I guarantee you that there's 0% of that audience that knew that Wade Robeson had dated Michael Jackson's niece for eight years, including during the allegations. And I guarantee you, if they had known that, at least, I'm just guessing here, but at least half, and mostly the female half of the audience would have gone, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Hold on here. What's really going on? So um, I had expressed skepticism about Wade Robeson's story from almost the beginning, and then as I learned more, I, I I was willing to go on Glenn Beck's show. Glenn Beck, who does a nationally syndicated radio and television show, and I've been on his program many times before. Uh, John Ziegler. I, I think he's fantastic. What a, what a interesting mind he has. When he says interesting mind, he, he really basically means, boy, that Ziegler guy is not afraid to say anything. <laughs> and, I, and I usually agree with him, but I won't say it because I actually have a very important gig to protect. Uh, and I mean that in a loving way because when I did my appearance on Glenn Beck, he he and the Blaze put out a headline. This is, I think, the exact headline. John Ziegler continues his quest to be the most unpopular man in America by taking on Leaving Neverland. Uh, I thought that, wow, that's kind of a cheap shot, but I get where it was coming from. And frankly, my wife would be the first person to agree with it. So, all right, fine. Um, but what he meant by that was I was willing to say Wade Robeson's not telling the truth. 
And that is before I I went ahead and pursued an interview with Brandy Jackson. Because the moment I saw her in an old video online, I'm like, wow, okay, this lady is very intelligent, very credible. I believe what she's saying, and her story is, in, is incredibly important and vital to understanding whether any of this is true. So after a couple days of trying, she graciously agreed uh, to uh, have me come meet her and interview her. And I did that. Uh, we're speaking on, on doing this taping on Saturday. I did that on Friday, March 8th. I went to the Michael Jackson estate in Calabasas, not far from where I live. And we did a, an almost hour-long interview, no holds barred, no edits. No, no, Actually, there was one edit because I got a phone call. <laughs> My phone stopped recording because we got a phone call in the middle of the interview. But that's the only edit that you're going to hear uh, in this interview with Brandy Jackson, who for some reason, and you can decide for yourself why, was completely omitted from the Leaving Neverland alleged documentary. Brandy Jackson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Randy, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, uh, obviously so much going on, but for people who uh, are not that familiar with the Jackson family tree, could you explain uh, what your place is in that? Absolutely. So my father is Jackie Jackson. He is the oldest brother of the Jackson Five, which makes him obviously brother to Michael. Um, and I have one, I say I have one brother, but I just, I've got three actually. I've got two younger brothers that are five years old as well. Um, so, yeah, that's my place. So you're Michael Jackson's niece. Correct. And did you spend a lot of time with Michael? Yes, I did. Um, my entire childhood. Um, and, you know, in my teens, he, he began to be more out of the country. So it was a little less that he was here. But, yeah, we spent a lot of time together. And uh, what did you make of your uncle? He's the best. He's such a sweet, caring, and genuine person. Uh, anybody that's met him can tell you this. Uh, there isn't anybody else like him, I have to be honest. And now, are you saying that as a niece? Or, I mean, are you saying that, uh, I mean, would you be objective? Could you be objective about your Uncle Michael Jackson? Absolutely, yeah. No, I, yes, I'm saying that as a niece, but also just as somebody that's watched him interact with multiple different types of people, all different walks of people, I've seen how he treats them. He is just a very all-around, genuine, caring person, not just to family, but to, to anybody that he comes across. And I think that there's a, a perception out there that all the members of the Jackson family are like living off of uh, Michael's estate. Yeah. Uh, how, how accurate or inaccurate is it's that? It's completely inaccurate. Um, we all do our own thing. I, I have a job that I, I work regularly. Um, I work with animals as well as I'm a photographer. Uh, my father and my uncles are still on the road. They've been performing for the last... Uh, I can't even say how many years. This is something that they've been doing for the last 30, 40, 50 years. Um, nobody is living off of Michael or the estate except for his children. That's, that's their legacy. That's what they get. We don't live off of that. And so not even your, your uh, parents do. I mean, no, uh, not not, not, the other members of the Jackson Five. And no. so not, it's not even like residual that, <laughs> no. that you guys somewhere down the road would benefit from Michael Jackson's estate. Not at all. And you're fine with that. Absolutely, right? yeah. So, so when you um, defend Michael or say something positive about him, it's what you believe, I assume, and it's also your motivation here is, is not money. What is it? It's the truth. It's, it's clearing my uncle's name and spreading the truth. He doesn't deserve to have these things happen to him. Um, he, like I said, he's a genuinely good person, and he needs people to stand up for him since he's not here to defend himself. 
And to be clear about the, the circumstances surrounding this interview, um, I'm startled that, that you have not been out there in a very um, national public way. I know you've done a couple of smaller uh, interviews before this, uh, Neverland, uh, Leaving Neverland, whatever you want to call it. I don't call it a documentary, but it's been called a documentary before that aired. So the, the point here is that um, uh, you guys didn't come to me. I, I came to you and asked you to do this interview, and this is not part of some sort of uh, overall uh, plan or scheme by the Jackson estate, is it? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Uh, like you said, I, you you came to me, and I had been hoping to do several interviews, TV interviews, um, and coincidentally, as they approached, they got canceled. So a lot of interviews that I had been setting up were just getting canceled left and right. The radio interviews were sticking, so I would take those. Podcasts, they wouldn't cancel on me, I would take them. Uh, anything I could do to spread the truth. Can you? Get, I didn't know this about the television, yeah. so can you give me an example of that? You know, I, I hate to, to put you know, different networks on blast. I, I hate to do that, but um, yeah, there was uh, Good Morning America was one of them. Uh, an ABC interview was another one. And when was that supposed to happen? I, I believe it was the same week. It was either the the week. It was the week that um, the documentary was airing on Sunday. It was the week prior. And so they had asked you to come on. Yes. And without was there an explanation for why it was canceled? It was a very convoluted explanation. It, it had to do something with a night show picking up one show and. They took Wade's interview, and it, it was just a very convoluted explanation as to why they didn't want to take the interview any further. It, it made no sense to me. I can't even repeat it to you because it was that convoluted. So you were getting a sense that this was not the straight explanation. Absolutely. 100%. You think that they just decided, for whatever reason, they were not going to tell your side of the story. Yes. Yes. And was this more than just ABC or was... was Those were the two major ones right. um, that really kind of hit me hard because I was really looking forward to speaking my piece. Mm -hmm. um, and part of the reason why it hit me so hard is because, for example, Oprah. Dan Reed and Oprah both ran with Wade and James's story without getting anybody else's side. So I felt like this was happening again when my interviews were being canceled. It was, again, nobody's getting my side of the story. Well, and let's be clear why your side of the story is so integral here, because for those who may not know, there are two stars of uh, Leaving Neverland. One is a guy by the name of Wade Robeson, and he's, I, and I believe he's actually the star of the film, I and mean, you could argue whether it's him or the, or the other accuser, but um, he, he's given at least two hours in this four-hour uh, film to tell his side of the story unfettered, and the reason why you are important is not just because you're Michael Jackson's niece, but because you know Wade Robeson in a very close and very unique relationship, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about that. So Wade and I met in approximately 1991. We had done several things together. We did the LA Gear photo shoot with my Uncle Michael, as well as the black or white video. Um, and... After doing those, you know, when you're on set, everybody's hanging out and getting to know each other. But after doing those two shoots, he had developed a crush on me and had asked my Uncle Michael if he would basically put us in a situation where we could get to know each other further. So my uncle introduced or my uncle invited Wade, his mom and his sister, as well as me and my brother to the ranch. So we spent about five to seven days there just getting to know each other. Um, our relationship 
you know, got, we got closer in this time frame. And at the end of this trip, he asked me very kindly if I would be his girlfriend. It was just a very sweet thing. Um, I want to say we were maybe about 12 years old at the oldest. Were you the same age? Yeah. Okay. Wade is 10 months younger than me. Uh, okay. He was born in September of 82 and I'm February of 82. Okay. And so, uh, so this, so if you, that's, so then you're nine years old in 1991. When we met. Right. When you met. Exactly. Okay. And then, so how, so it was approximately three years later at that the you. the most. St- yeah. And it's, it's, it's so long ago now that I'm trying to really like mm-hmm. pinpoint these, but at the oldest, I was 12 years old. When you started, quote-unquote, dating. Exactly. And, and you started dating because Wade had a crush on you. He asks Michael to basically set you up. Yeah, basically. And, and in that time period, you guys spend, you said, almost a week together right. at, the, at the Neverland Ranch. Correct. And um, and that's a long time. I mean, it is, yeah. I mean, especially for twelve-year-olds, that's a. Well, you know, in the in the summer, you know, your school is out, so you're able to do things like that. Right. Um, that's why I was able to be there. Otherwise, my mom would have had me right back in school. Okay. Um, but yeah, I was there for about a week. All right. So, and of course, at the time, you never saw anything weird happening between Wade and Michael. No. And of course, according to Wade's story, he's still in the midst of being brutally sexually abused at this point. Absolutely. Um, and, <laughs> and being told to not like women is my understanding. He was kind of being groomed. Yeah, the women, he, he, he said in the documentary that Michael told him not to trust women. Exactly. Uh, and uh, and yet he's seeking out you. Right. Um, and so at 12 years old, he asks you to, uh, to be his girlfriend and you say yes. Right. And so can you give us a sense at that point of what that meant to be Wade's girlfriend? You know, it was, it, it's like any other childhood relationship. You, you guys are mostly friends, like very close friends. We used to spend all the time together. We were always either on the phone if we weren't together or we were at each other's house. Um, this was a very age appropriate relationship. We weren't having sex at 12 years old. This was just, you know, holding hands, hugging and, and going to the movies. So kind of like puppy love. Exactly. That's how this started. All right. And, uh, do you remember approximately how long it took or what age you were when it became sexual? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I feel comfortable sharing this, um, I, especially as an adult, but I did not have sex with Wade until I was just about 18 years old. That's the first time we actually had sex. Um, it was something that was important to me to wait until a specific time. My mother passed away when I was 15, turning 16, and she had always recommended that I wait until I was the appropriate age. So that was something that kind of stuck with me, stuck with me, and he supported it. He was okay with that. So you guys dated consistently for about yeah. six years yeah. before you had sexual intercourse. Exactly. And do you know whether or not you were his First, at least, did he say that to anything to you about that? You know, he, at the time, I had assumed that this was his first time as well. Um, just because we were in this exclusive relationship and we were very close. Later, I learned that that wasn't the case, that he had just recently started um, sleeping around. And it was one of those things, too, that before we had sex, I had questioned him several times. He had begun producing different artists like Mandy Moore, and I think this was around 1999, um, Mandy Moore, Britney Spears, and some other artists prior to that, doing a lot of choreographing. And I had asked him, you know, his behavior was changing. It didn't sit right with me. Are you sleeping with these women? 
And he's like, no, what are you talking? I would never do that. The, the, these are business relationships. These were always his, his... And this is before you guys became sexual. Exactly. And, and he would... You had suspicions. Do you remember what their suspicions were based on? You know, it's, it's, I'm going to call it a woman's intuition. You can feel when something's changing with somebody that you're very close to. Um, his, his just entire behavior was changing. He would go, when he would go to choreograph certain jobs, he would try to be more secretive about them. Mm. Didn't want to tell me exactly who was there and when he was coming back. Mm -hmm. um, it was just very weird. And you can just, it just doesn't sit right with you. You know that something's wrong. Now, um, <clears throat> you have no doubt that Wade is a heterosexual, correct? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. And you would know if he was not. Yes, 100%. <laughs> right, so he's 100% heterosexual in your in your mind. Uh, you never got any sense he was bisexual, did you? No. Um, and uh, and did he, you assumed that he was a virgin when you had sex, but you no longer believe that? Is, is, where, where do you stand No, that's on? correct. Um, so, like I said, I had been questioning him about this. Mm -hmm. uh, our relationship turned into a sexual relationship, like I said, around the age of 18, just before mm -hmm. 18. Um, and the suspicion started to grow even more. Uh, I could just tell things are not right with him. We should be growing even further, and right now we're kind of pulling apart, and I didn't understand why. So I, I started questioning him some more, specifically at this point with Britney, because his behavior was becoming significantly different with her. Britney Brit Spears. Correct, Britney Spears. And again, this is, this is when he, you're both about 18 years old, yeah. or maybe before then. It is when I started questioning, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> okay, so you, you now believe that he was having an affair with Britney Spears before you guys became sexual, or somewhere in that range? In that time, yeah, in that range. Uh, I know that he was pursuing her. And so that's what I, I, you know, in hindsight, when you start to put it all together, he had been pursuing her, but he was positioning himself more so. I honestly believe he was positioning himself to just become part of that project. And as Justin, my understanding is Justin brought Wade. Justin on, Timberlake. Exactly. Brought Wade onto the project to do production, not just choreography, but to do production now. And then that's when Brittany and Wade really got closer and began sleeping with each other. And what are you basing that on? It's been rumored quite a bit, but I mean, do you have anything other than women's intuition? Or I mean, do yeah, you have, what, yeah. what are you basing that on? So, you know, there's um, somebody, we have a mutual contact that's very close to both of us. Not just, uh, we, it's not just somebody that we both Mutual know. contact between you and Brittany? Between or? Wade and I. Okay. okay. Yeah. And um, when, when this came out in the media with him and Brittany, with Wade and Brittany, I questioned Wade again. I, at this point, I was adamant. This has to be true. Look at this. He said, Brandy, I swear to you, this is not true. Then I got a call from our mutual friend, somebody that's very close to me and very close to him. And they, they didn't know that I had already been questioning this. And they told me, Brandy, I have to tell you, Wade is sleeping with Brittany. He's sleeping with this person's wife. He's sleeping with this underage girl. By the way, when you say this person's wife, it's a famous person. If there's a famous person. Very famous person. Absolutely. Wife. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I just got the rundown. And, and I knew this person is extremely credible, and I knew that they weren't lying to me. So I immediately called Wade, and I confronted him on all of these things. And he just kind of paused and started crying, asking me, how do I know this? How do I, who told me this? How, would I, how could I possibly know these things? He didn't that, actually deny it. He never denied it because he knew I knew at this point. When I was able to give all of the names, he knew that I, was, I had gotten my facts, and I knew for it. Now, was that the end of your romantic Absolutely. relationship? 100%. That was the end of our everything. I, was not, I couldn't be friends with him at this point. Okay, so 
So just and this so is I, approximately two thousand to or two thousand one. So you're least. about nineteen years old at this yeah, point. Nineteen twenty. Okay, yeah. so you had a quote unquote sexual relationship with him for about a year or two exactly before it blows apart over Britney Spears and some other absolutely infidelity. Okay, now, and I do want to stress this: this wasn't one of those situations where. Um, and, and I'm just going to try to be appropriate when I say this. We didn't have actual intercourse until I was about 18, but there were other. Sure. You know what I mean? I just have to be. I don't of want to course. make it sound like. No, no. I mean, you. Uh, that was natural. I mean, that's every teenager does that. I mean, right. So there was. It was a sexual relationship. It just wasn't intercourse. Correct. But but that's important because let's go back for a second because I. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take Wade's story. I'm trying to understand. Okay. If he's telling the truth about Michael Jackson having abused him from the age of 7 to 14, let's go through this. Uh, and obviously no one knows for sure how a, a victim of that kind of sexual abuse would react. That's really horrendous sexual Absolutely. abuse. This is not a one-off where it happened one time, he says, get off of me, and it may not, la- you know, may not leave a lasting huge impact. This is his... At seven years old, this is how he's learning exactly. what sex is. It doesn't strike me at all that, based upon your experience with him, that he is dysfunctional in the way that he views sex, or the way that he believe, or the evolution of your relationship. The evolution of your relationship sounds perfectly normal and innocent. When you would think, wouldn't you, that if he's learning what sex is from a man at the age of seven? That everything would be off, everything would be distorted. That he would first and think it was very weird to wait six years exactly. to have sex with his girlfriend when Michael and he had sex right off the bat. Exactly. And his story is that Michael told him this is what people who love each other do. So I would imagine, like you, that he would try to that would carry over into our relationship since we loved each other. You did love him. You Absolutely. And he loved you. Absolutely. Uh, and more than just like puppy love. I mean, you, yeah, no. you, yeah, we we were very very close. Loved each other as friends and loved each other as as I I can't say soulmates because that's something that's exaggerated. Mm-hmm. But in a relationship, the way that two would love each other. So just to be clear, you agree then with my confusion over your experience with him sexually not being compatible with what you would think would be the case given his story about Michael. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I have a hard time with digesting when I watch this, the the documentary, the film. Tell me more about why you have a hard time digesting. It it just, it doesn't, from, from what I know of Wade and how I've known him to grow up, there was no indication that he had had any type of, I'm going to say, sexual encounter of that nature, abuse of that nature. Um, and when he started to change and, and do things that weren't right or to, to have different feelings, I was able to pick up on that immediately. So you had the type of relationship where he would have told, told let's, for, let's pretend for a second he didn't want to obviously rat out your uncle to sure. you. But you, you, you think you would have picked up on Absolutely. something like this? One hundred percent. You guys had a, you talked about intimate things. Yes. I mean, and yet he never gave any indication. Nothing whatsoever. Uh, n- nothing. And one of the things that I have been told, I, I'm not a victim of sex abuse myself, but I've studied it a lot. And one of the things I, I've been told is, especially when a male is abused by a man. And he's and he's especially if he's heterosexual, and especially if it's at a young age, and especially if it's as as comprehensive as he's alleging it is with Michael, that that has a profound impact on a man's psyche, 
his confidence, especially his sexual confidence. And when I look at the way you're describing him, he seems perfectly normal with you. And let's be clear, you know, to break up Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake at, at, at the height of Britney's celebrity and sexuality, uh, that takes a lot of confidence. It, he has a lot of confidence for sure. Wade is extremely confident. Uh, and he has always been extremely confident. Um, he's got this self-awareness in almost an egocentric sort of way, um, narcissistic sort of way. There's nothing that he, if he wants something, he's going to go after it and he's going to get it. Uh, there's, he's never had any setbacks or any, any type of insecurities that would prevent him from being whatever it is that he wants. So you have no doubt in your own mind that he was not sexually abused by your uncle. I have no doubt. There's, n there's not even a question in my mind that he was sexually abused. That he was uncle. not. That he was not. Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. There's, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that he... Yeah, it, it, this sentence is weird. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you believe that he was sexually abused by Absolutely. Michael Jackson? Absolutely not. He was not sexually abused by my uncle. And how sure are you of that? 100%. And why, on what do you base that? You know, I, I base it, one, on my uncle. I know my uncle very, very mm. well. I know that he would never do the things that Wade is claiming. And two, I know Wade. I know him and I know his behavior. I knew him in the midst of all of this. He, I do know that Wade is a liar and he's a manipulator, but he was not abused. His behavior has never indicated anything of the sort. And that's also why his, his mother and his family, nobody ever suspected anything, and they were always fine with allowing him to be around Michael. They were there too. There was nothing inappropriate happening to make anybody feel uncomfortable. Right, we'll talk about his, his mom and his family in a minute, because I know you know them as, as well. But, but what about those who will say, well, you know, you love your uncle, and you were in love with him, and you just weren't seeing the signs. Uh, what, do you, what do you say to those kind of people? I say that it's, I'm not blind. I'm not blind at all. And you have to also understand that when I was in the fifth grade, the first allegations came out in 1993. So this was something on your mind already. Absolutely. I mean, it's not something that I ever questioned because I knew him. But if there were red flags going off, there was already the, the, the platform for it. You know, people had already been saying these things. I would, I would pick up on these red, red flags right away. This wasn't something that was new to me that people would accuse my uncle of such a thing. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that these didn't happen. And I think another part of this equation is that um, people think, okay, when it's happening, maybe you don't pick up the signs. But then when, in, in 2013, when out of nowhere, Wade goes on the Today Show and makes this allegation against your uncle Michael, I'm sure. First of all, let me ask you, what was your reaction when he did that? I was completely shocked. It was like being hit with a bat from the left side. I, I, this wasn't something I saw coming, um, and I'm sure nobody else did either. Everybody is aware of how close or how much uh, Wade adored my uncle and how close they were as friends and how much my uncle had done for him as a, as a mentor and a business associate. This was something that just made no sense whatsoever. Uh, and we are also aware of the fact that when Wade came out with this, that he had just been petitioning for the Cirque du Soleil show and was denied it. Immediately after that is when he started making these allegations. Did you connect those two events in your mind? 100%. So you immediately said, oh, this is because he didn't get the job. 100%. And 
I'm, my sense from you, though, is you must have at least replayed in your mind your experiences with him, especially when he was during the age that he says he was abused. Did, did you do that and did anything? Because my point here is you might not realize it at the time, but a lot of times people will go, oh, right. now, now all this makes sense. Did you go through that process? You know, of course, your your mind starts to recall things and try to you know piece things together. But at the same time, when he came out the first with you know with the Today Show, one of his things that he was saying was that he didn't realize that the things that had occurred to him were wrong until he had a son, and he he referenced his mental breakdowns, which we had all heard about his mental breakdowns before he mentioned them on to, on the Today Show. Um, people that knew him had been hearing about these. But we also knew that these were all financial breakdowns. There's something else that um, I had recalled when he did this, this interview with the Today Show that a lot of people don't know. Shortly after my uncle died in 2009, within, I want to say, the first week, his mother called me. I had not spoken to them in a few years. Wait, Wade's mother? Correct. Okay. Joy called me. And uh, like I said, I had not spoken to them, any of them, for a few years. We left on bad terms, and I, I just didn't have any contact. When she reached out to me, she was crying. She was very sad that my uncle had passed and wanted to, to share this with me. She said that it had been too long since we had seen each other. We should have lunch. Um, and, you know, I told her that, that I didn't think that that was appropriate. I didn't mm. feel comfortable having lunch with them any further, but I totally respected her feelings and I understood that she would be mm. sad. Before we got off the phone, she told me that she really wanted me to contact her with Paris Prince and Blanket, that she felt that the kids should be with her and that they shouldn't be with my grandmother. And when she said that to me, I, alarms were going off left and right. I got off the phone with her, but I had to first tell her the kids are where they're supposed to be. They're with their grandmother. She tried convincing me that Michael didn't want the kids anywhere around the mother, our grandmother, which is absolutely not true. This is, this is, why, this is why I have a hard time swallowing the things that they're doing. I've seen their pattern. So, so what do you think was really going on there? That's really strange. Trying to position themselves to stay in. And so it, it, didn't, it doesn't end there. You know, I got off the phone with her, and a few hours later, Wade called me. He was being very sweet on the phone, um, and it was weird. His tone was weird. Again, I had not spoken to him for a few years. And he said, Brandy, this is Wade. How are you? I said, I'm good. How are you? He said, I'm good. You know, I've missed you a lot. I think that we should have dinner. We really need to sit down, you and I, and don't you miss me? Hasn't it been a long time? I said, it has been a long time, but no, I, I very politely, I wasn't rude. I said, but no, I don't miss you. D aren't you married? And that he didn't know that I knew he was married. He paused, was taken back and was like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I am married. You should meet my wife one day. And so I, immediately I knew what it was that they were trying to do. They were trying to manipulate me in such a way to just get back over to Paris Prince and Blanket. Shortly later, I found out that they had been calling Taj after they called me, trying to figure out how to get to the funeral. So these are people that they don't stop when they want something, when they have something on their mind, they will hit every avenue to try to get to it. So let me interpret what you just said. I know it's a lot. No, 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 because I, I, I find this fascinating and very important to understanding Wade's credibility and his parent, his mom's credibility and they're critical to the Leaving Neverland film. What you're, it sounds to me what, what you're saying is when Michael dies, they're panicked. Yeah. Because they still had a relationship 
with Michael of some sort, I'm assuming. I mean, and, and Michael was the 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 person they could go to if in trouble or if Wade needed a job or something like exactly. that. And then now that's gone. That's suddenly, no one's expecting that to go away. It's gone. And now they're desperately trying to figure out a way to, as you describe it, stay in. Absolutely. That you, that's how you interpret what's happening there. 100%. And I, I interpreted it that way immediately at the time that it was happening. And even more so now in hindsight. <sighs> okay. And so, so, and so for me, when I started hearing about his breakdowns, you know, a few years later, I was not surprised. His jobs that he was trying to get were being shut down. He couldn't figure out how to get back in with Paris, Prince, and Blanket. Anything that would just, you know, tie him to some sort of lifeline. So his career is going in a downward spiral. Right. Michael's no longer around to make things happen. Absolutely. Uh, obviously, he, he lost a, a great supporter in you by cheating on you. Right. Um, and, uh, and then that Cirque, Cirque Soleil thing happens where there's a video of him talking about the fact that that's what he's going to do. I think it was Inside Edition or something like that, where he's bragging that he has that job. Yes. He felt like he had it in the bag. Because of his relationship with Michael, I guess. Do you know why he wasn't given that job? I don't. Honestly, I don't know why. Okay. Now, you would would think that if, if Michael Jackson is his lifeline to his career... I mean, uh, well, he obviously burned his lifeline with Justin Timberlake. Exactly. He, he burned it with with Britney Spears. Uh, and and what, you know, did he not think about cheating on you would be a bad move with Michael? He doesn't. He doesn't think that far. He he thinks immediately with what he what his immediate needs are. Wade doesn't think five minutes ahead of himself. Did Did you ever? I'm assuming, I'm, I don't want to assume things. Did, did you ever tell Michael what he, what Wade did to you? I didn't, no. And I didn't because I knew that they still had a business relationship and I didn't want to seem as like the person putting salt on somebody else's situation. I just felt like I'm just going to back out of this altogether. And I, in hindsight, I really wish that I had. I, I really do. One of my uncle's biggest things that he used to always say to me was, is Wade treating you well? Is he opening the doors for you? Is he being respectful? That's how a man should treat you. If he's not treating you like that, you need to put him in his place or tell me. And this was something that was a common narrative with my uncle and myself. Not specific, not that he thought Wade wasn't treating me right, but he was trying to instill. He was being an uncle. Exactly. Well, but and So let's go back to Wade's narrative here and let's try to fit that in there. Wade describes, as does uh, Jimmy Shortchuck, um, that uh, that Michael and his what they describe as their his boy lovers right. have like this romantic, loving marriage like relationship. Right. Where where Michael's bad mouthing girls. How does it make sense that Michael is going out of his way to set Wade up with you in a clearly romantic situation that he that Wade has said, "Hey, I have a crush on your." your niece, can you set us up, and then kind of shepherding your relationship all along. How does that make any sense? It doesn't. And that's why they intentionally didn't mention any of this in the documentary. That's why they left me out 100%, because it it kills what he's saying. Clearly, you believe you should have been interviewed for that documentary. Absolutely. If it, To be fair, I, do I want anything to do with the documentary? Absolutely not. But to be fair, uh, yes, they should have. And, and for Dan Reed to be a journalist, that's what he should have done. He should have covered his bases. 
well, clearly he didn't like what your story was going to be. Right. I, I wonder if he even knew about your story. I, I question the same thing. I don't think he did. I, I, I think he bought into this so hook, line, and sinker that he never even thought about uh, other elements of the other side of the story. He probably yeah. didn't. Um, what would you say... Uh, well, let's take one at a time. What would you say... I assume you have not uh, reached out to Wade since this is happened. No, I haven't. Have you spoken to him since the 2013 Today Show interview? No. I haven't spoken to him in, since they called me after my uncle passed. So, so why did you not say, hey, dude, what the hell is going on? Why have you never done that with Wade? Because... One, I, I don't have contact with him, but two, like you don't have his phone number, or no. I mean, I'm sure I could track him down in some way, but yeah, I don't, I don't have any contact with him. But two, I, I see what his what his motive is. I see what his goals are. He's just after money, and when people have that sort of mentality, there's nothing you could do. I could call him all day long and say, Wade, why are you lying? You should be ashamed of yourself. But he's not going to pick the phone up. He's not going to talk to me. He's in complete avoidance. Personally, my anger alone would uh, force me to leave a voicemail message. <laughs> you know what, though? We're so used to this. This is the sort of thing that we grew up with. We grew up with people trying to figure out how to position themselves in, I'm going to say, in our lives in order to get what they, what they want. And sometimes they don't always come in with a motive, but they leave with a motive. And so this is something yeah. that I'm used to. People, I don't think, fully understand what it's like to live that life because it's right. not normal. I mean, you, right. you don't have normal people don't have to worry about someone taking advantage of you at every moment exactly. because of your last name. So let's pretend for a second you did have an opportunity to talk to Wade. Well, what would you say to him now? I would, I would just basically tell him that he should be ashamed of himself for making these things up. He's wrong for doing this. He really is. If there's something that he needed, he should ask for it. But otherwise, to make these lies up like this is absolutely wrong. Did you? A lot of people, including myself, found his performance, which I I am t- prone to believing it was a performance, based upon the factual record. But whatever you want to call it, his testimony, the, it was very compelling, and I thought it was very compelling. I I mean, he gets emotional. And he tells a very very detailed story. What would you say to those who don't know Wade? who say, wow, there's no way that somebody could lie about something like this in that kind of detail with that kind of compelling credibility for that long on camera. What do you say to them about that? That they don't know Wade. They don't know what he's capable of. Um, I also find it interesting that there's no sort of proof in this entire documentary. They have nothing substantial to offer. Um, And that's why they tried to pull some over-the-top scenarios and go as graphic as they could because they had to sell you on something. Um, and, and I have to be honest with you, like I said, people don't know Wade. And there were a lot of times I found him, in my opinion, trying not to laugh. When somebody else would say, hey, look at him, he's trying not to cry. No, Wade's trying not to laugh because he knows what he's saying is so absolutely ridiculous. You saw that. Absolutely. 100%. You, knowing him the way you do, you said he's actually trying not to laugh here. 100%. Is there something you remember in particular that he said or just in general? Specifically, I remember thinking that when he was referencing as a young boy, two different instances, as a, a young boy, he was on all fours and he was told to spread his, his butt cheeks, basically, and my uncle licked his anus. I, the look on his face from somebody that knows him knows that he, this was not a serious statement that he was saying, but he was able to sell that because people don't know him. And a lot of people don't know my uncle, so they look at him as some Mickey Mouse character. 
he's not a real person to a lot of people. And so it was easy to just swallow what Wade was saying. I've had particular problems with the underwear story. Did you see that? Yes. What did, when what he did was you? 14. Okay, he's 14, and this is allegedly their last sexual encounter. And Michael calls him to the studio to make sure that he uh, has gotten rid of some potentially incriminating underwear. Right. Uh, what did you make of that story? It's completely, completely and absolutely ridiculous. Also, the, the other thing that people don't know is in that time frame, from the time that Wade was like 12, I want to say, up until 20 or older, he was choreographing multiple nights a week, hard dance classes. I mean, dancing very, very hard. So for him to, at 14, be anally penetrated to the point where his rectum was bloody, and I think he even says that he wasn't aware that his underwear had been bloody. When he went back and looked for them, he said mm. that there was, in fact, blood in them. I find all of that to be just absolutely ridiculous. You weren't aware of the fact that this anal penetration had had caused your rectum to bleed? Well, that was and, weird, but and, also the, the whole story was weird because, he, because first of all, if, if, if your uncle is that terrified that the right. underwear is going to be found, why not just call? Right. Why, why not just say, hey, get rid of the underwear? That's uh, it. I mean, That's you, you, so you're going to take him away from the home where his mom might find the dirty underwear, and, and you're going to bring him in a very high-profile way, hey, come meet me at the studio, right? Uh, and then come back, and then get rid of the underwear. That that doesn't make any sense. And then, I, and I could be wrong about this part, but I believe he's asked whose blood was on the underwear, and he says Michael's. Now, now how does that make any sense? Oh, I missed that part. I didn't even I, really see I, that. I before. think he said, I could be wrong about that, but it, the whole... If the, he said the, Michael's, that really doesn't make sense. Right, exactly. But the whole, the point, the whole story is... In, insane, but then, but then, the director goes uh, in an interview with Piers Morgan, uh, the only real tough interview he's done, and Piers says, "What new evidence do you have?" And he references the underwear as if the physical underwear, oh, he has it? right, as, as if he has the underwear. Really, that's very interesting. <laughs> I find that to be very interesting. Yeah, like wow. Uh, I mean, the, to the audience, he's. I guarantee the audience thought, "Wow, they've got." Dirty underwear with you know Michael Jackson's DNA on it, and and it's just a story that he told. That's all it is. Well, and and fascinating for me because Wade doesn't do his own laundry. He never has. Even I mean, maybe he he does now as a grown man. Mm -hmm. But even up until the point where we broke up at twenty or twenty one years old, his mother was doing his laundry. So if he saved that underwear, his mother would have found out about this a long time ago. Well, the, the dirty laundry issue has always. Uh, fascinated me in these kinds of stories because I know, having been a young boy, I mean, if I got a grass stain uh, that was unexplained, Absolutely. my mother was like, what the heck happened here? Absolutely. Uh, and yet no mother ever finds anything in the laundry. That And, and let's face it, some of these acts are very messy. Uh, there, it feels to me like there would be evidence uh, of some of this. I now, agree. And, and, and that's why I referenced the dancing. There's no way that he would have gone through what he went through and then came back and was still dancing, performing in these dance classes the way that he was, from the way that he describes mm -hmm. his abuse. Now, you mentioned his mom. Now, his mom is an interesting character in all this because she, is, she describes herself as a stage mom. She right. clearly facilitated the relationship between Wade and Michael, uh, clearly did so for career purposes. Uh, and, and there's a couple things about her in Leaving Neverland that I find very interesting, but they take her they take her on this journey in this movie from this woman who's so excited about 
uh, Michael and Wade engaging in this very close relationship to someone who is broken by the end of the movie. Like, she's just, just devastated that she facilitated her son's abuse. Before I give my thoughts on that, what, what, what do you make of her role in this? Because you know her. Yeah, honestly, I think that she's doing just, a good, just as good of an acting job as Wade is, to be completely honest. I don't think she believes this from him. And what do you base that on? I base it on the fact that she was around to see the interaction between Wade and Michael. Wade paints this as though he was always off with Michael by himself and that he was taken away from his family. That isn't the case. Um, she was very much involved with Wade and would not allow Wade to go do things without her. So she knows more than she's saying. She was around for more than she's alluding to. And she knows that nothing inappropriate happened. She was always enamored by Michael. Um, and I want to tell you from my personal opinion that she was kind of in love with Michael. She thought that Michael had a crush on her just because he's very sweet and kind and she felt like there was something more to it. She used to tell me this all the time. And I think that Joy knows. She, she knows that none of these things are true. Why would they corroborate all of this together? I'm not sure. Part of the reason why I don't think uh, she believes it is because uh, when they talk in the film about the beginning of the relationship, she's very happy. Absolutely. You, you, you notice the same thing. 100%. Now, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm a, she can't I'm a, hide it. I'm a father, but I'm, I'm and I'm, so I'm not a mother. But it, it goes against everything that I would think that a mother would go through, if if they're talking about a process that resulted in their son's brutal seven year sexual abuse, they could not be happy about it in right. retrospect. Right. Absolutely. I mean, this seems like common sense. Absolutely, and it, she cannot hide her emotions. But so you don't. So you think she's acting at the end when she pretends as this was so horrible that Michael did this. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I know the family has had some interaction with her that they believe is indicative of her feeling ashamed uh, of her role in this rather than angry. Is that is that a fair assessment? Ashamed in the sense... In other words, uh, I know that before this interview we were talking uh, with one of your relatives who indicated that they had met with her and that and that she fairly recently and that she felt that she put her head down and wanted to get away Absolutely. rather than confronting like I can't believe you exactly. know Michael did this to us. Exactly. Yes. She she did, she never displayed any anger towards our us as a family or even Michael. Um, like you said it was more of an ashamed sort of sensation that we get from her. And big picture here. Uh, um my sense from getting to know you guys a little bit and knowing the way this story went down is that in a weird way, um, Wade's story was so preposterous and so on your side of things, especially with you having dated him for so long, you so knew that it was utter baloney that you kind of underestimated the potential impact of this because I don't think you've anticipated anyone, especially HBO, or maybe even the Today Show, would have believed it enough to put it on the air. Absolutely. Is, is, is that a fair assessment? It is. But, you know, initially when he came out with the Today Show in around 2015, that's when I didn't give it any, any legs. I didn't really think that it would go very far. And it did get thrown out. I didn't, the lawsuit got the thrown out. The lawsuit, yeah. I didn't know about this documentary until it came out, until it was aired on Sun, with the Sundance Festival. 
And at that point, it was announced that HBO was going to be picking it up. So I learned all of that at the same time. And I was immediately ready to speak because I knew that they were about to have a voice, a one-sided voice. So I was concerned immediately when I heard this from the Sundance. But over time, I mean, like people think that there's this Michael Jackson machine a PR machine. In fact, the, the director of this movie has referenced that numerous times. Like, don't believe anything the machine right. does. And, and I'm thinking, well, if, if anyone took this story seriously, the machine would have been out with a their own right. uh, massive, well-produced, multi-million dollar uh, uh, documentary or rebuttal or what have you. And nothing like that has happened. Right. Why is that? It, but, and you're right. It is because the, the estate and the overall family felt like this was just going to die down. You know, don't, it, we don't need to give it so much attention. Wade has no validity to him. There's no evidence. There's nothing that he's saying. We don't need to give it this much energy. And that's just because my family is used to fighting lawsuits. So we, they feel like we have to pick and choose our battles. This one is, is not one that we need to fight. I felt differently because I know him so well and I have such a connection. I immediately felt like this is something that I need to speak on. Whether it gets legs or not, I want Wade to know. People will know the truth. We, we're going to put it out there. And if you were able to explain in one just short statement why people should not believe Wade Robeson about your, your uncle, Michael Jackson, what would you say to them? Honestly, in one, one quick statement, it's because Wade's a liar. He, he absolutely is. And, and one of the things that I ask people to do is, I don't ask you to believe me. I ask you to do your, your research. Fact check. Fact check the things that you believe on Michael and fact check what you believe on Wade. A lot of people think that Michael, um, a lot of people don't remember what happened 25 years ago in 1993. They don't remember what happened in 2005, that he was found not guilty on 10 counts, that there was actually no evidence ever found against him. People will have you believe that they found child pornography. None of these things are true. And these statements are what form people's mentality today in order to believe what Wade is saying. So I think that they need to really go back and, and debulk some of the things that, that they see on, on social media and the things that they believe. I think that they need to go through it. So instead of believing what I'm saying, I ask them to fact check. A couple things real quick uh, along those lines. Uh, what do you say to the, because obviously you, you, you're not just 100% convinced that Wade is lying. You're 100% convinced that your uncle was not a pedophile. Absolutely. Uh, and you know, I wish I could get there, <laughs> um, you know, but clearly your uncle and he lived a unique experience. No question right. about that. And I, I've tried very hard to keep that in mind and everything. It's hard to interpret everything he does because no one else is living his life. Right. How do you explain to people his odd nature, the sleeping uh, with boys, the, the very close relationship with lots of different boys, the, the seemingly, uh, you know, having a closer relationship with them before puberty and then in many, but not all cases, those relationships uh, dwindling away. How do you explain to people who don't know your uncle uh, how, how those things are not indicative of him being a pedophile. You know, it, it's a hard thing to explain to people who have never met him. And, and I'm just going to be honest, it is a very difficult thing to explain. Um, however, the way that I grew up is very easy for me to understand and anybody else that grew up around us to understand. Um, I was around for a lot of these sleepovers. There were a lot of children. It wasn't just boys, but there was a lot of children. 
um, that would all hang out and we would watch scary movies. And one of the easiest ways to put children to bed is to get everybody in together and put on a movie. If you try to put kids to sleep in one room and put them to sleep in another room, that doesn't always work when they're all amped up. That's one. Two, my uncle was like a child himself. When we would have family days, there would be multiple, there's so many of us, so we'd have multiple tables and the adults would sit together and the children would sit together. Michael was always trying to sit at the children's table with us, with all of the nieces and nephews. He's just very childlike. He wants to get up and play tag and play hide and go seek. He didn't want to have the business meetings all the time. That's just how he was. And he's always been that way. So for us and for people who've met him and know him, this is very normal. Um, one of the other things that I think makes it hard to process for people today is that times have changed so much. Today, when people say, let's watch Netflix and chill, there's a, a totally different connotation to it. When we were growing up and we said, let's go rent movies, we were renting movies and watching them. There wasn't anything else weird happening. And I think that people have a hard time understanding that. People could, an adult and children can all get on a bed and watch movies together and fall asleep and everything's fine. It doesn't mean that anything inappropriate is happening. And that's why there's so many people that can tell you that they have done this. Macaulay Culkin, Brett Barnes, even Wade, you know, himself said twice. He probably said it, he said it more than twice, but he said it under two different investigations that nothing inappropriate has ever happened to him. There wasn't anything weird happening. And I understand that that's odd for the average person to understand, but they need to understand that we're not dealing with an average person. Michael was not normal. And let's end this with uh, with Wade. Uh, one of the things that confuses me is that in 2005, which is really the critical moment of all this, because that's when the criminal trial happens, and, and Wade is the first defense witness for your uncle, and he's 22, 23 years old at this time. He is a grown man. He's a grown man who's had uh, affairs with uh, you know Britney Spears and other people, and had a long relationship with you, and. Uh, and he and he goes up there and he testifies under oath, dramatically on your uncle's behalf. Uh, and yet, at that time, not only does he know Michael's in big trouble because he's in on uh, trial for his life, essentially, but he also knows because of the Jordy Chandler situation that there's money to be had. Absolutely. For He also let's pick that up. He also knows that there's money to be had because of the Jordy Chandler situation. Uh, if you decide to make an allegation, true or not, now people presume uh, this movie presumes he was under Michael's thumb and that it was in his self interest to stay within Michael's camp. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's not true. The, the blood is in the water at this time. If he's got a real legitimate allegation and he makes that against Michael Jackson, he's a, an incredibly wealthy man. Absolutely. 100%. And the, and the way you know, would he have resisted that temptation? At the time, for sure. Like today, if he had the chance. And I, I actually, I can't even say that. That's not, if, he had, if Michael were alive, he wouldn't be doing this. He would never be saying these things because he knows they're not true. It's because Michael is dead. He doesn't feel that like he has to answer to him. He doesn't have to feel sorry and look him in the eye to know that he's making these lies on him. It, the reason he didn't um, say these things then is because they weren't true. But like you said, if he had any type of, um, if any of these things had happened when he had a chance to go on the stand, he could have said it then and he could have completely cashed in. He, that, would, have, he would have put his abuser absolutely. behind bars. He would have been a multi, multi, multi 
millionaire, and he would have been a hero. Absolutely. To to many many people. Absolutely. Uh, so I don't understand this notion that somehow. Uh, now, granted, you know we're supposed to believe that he's under a spell, but it's also important to point out at that point he's not interacting with Michael on a regular basis. Not at all. Yeah, and and he was. I believe he was preparing to get married. I think he was engaged. Wade was mm-hmm. engaged at the time. Very excited and eager to introduce his wife to Michael. Couldn't wait. Mm-hmm. And I even heard that he had asked to get if he could use the ranch to get married at. This place where all of your abuse had taken part. You, this is where you want to get mm-hmm. married. All during this, this trial in 2005. And of course, once Michael dies in 2009... We've already talked about he desperately wants to go to the funeral. He says all sorts of amazing things about Michael, which you put interesting context onto because it's clear what's motivating him is he is trying to make sure that the family doesn't abandon him. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, and to me, I look, I try to be very understanding of alleged sex abuse victims. I think sure. we all are. Yeah. But but to me, once your abuser has died. I mean, first of all, frankly, to me, you go to trial. If they're on trial and you're called to testify and under oath, that ought to be the time when you tell the story. Yes. But but even if that's not the time, when they die, that ought to be last call as far as I'm concerned. If right. you don't say something when they die, I'm sorry, we can't we can't take what you're saying as inherently credible after that. Do right. you agree with that? 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well... Brandy, thank you so much for your time thank and you. um, and for for telling us your version of the truth, uh, <laughs> uh, because it's obviously telling a very different story than than we saw in uh, Leaving Neverland. And um, is there anything, any last thing you'd like to say to to uh, our audience to to make sure that people understand what really happened here? Uh, again, the only thing that I could say is to to please fact check. Go ahead and do some research on, on anything that you have questions about. Research it. Don't take anything for, for face value. Look deep into it. Thanks so much. Brandy Jackson, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Now, to me, that blows Wade Robson's story. That interview with Brandy Jackson blows it completely to smithereens in a logical world. I get that there are going to be people who will never believe anything that she says because she's Michael Jackson's niece. In my world, that gives her way more credibility, not less credibility, especially when it's important to point out she has nothing, nothing to gain by doing this. Nothing. She's putting herself out there potentially to be attacked. And you know, in a sense, you could think of her as a victim in this. You know, she, I mean, she's the victim of Wade Robeson's cheating with Britney Spears, among other people. Uh, And uh, what I found to be most credible about her is that she doesn't tell a story that is definitive. Like, for instance, it's kind of like Michael Cohen's testimony against Trump. Why doesn't Michael Cohen say that he overheard Trump talking about collusion with Russia? Right. If he did, that would be incredibly explosive. But he doesn't do that, which makes me think, oh, okay, then I'm going to listen to what he has to say. He's not lying just to cause damage to his target. Well, similarly, she could have said he called me up and told me it was all bull crap and he's going to sue Michael Jackson for money. She doesn't do that. She, her story is, and here's why I believe her, not just that I've met her and questioned her and, you know, even though I'm sympathetic to her story, I can tell when someone's BSing me uh, and she's completely open and in my view, exceedingly credible, but she's not adding anything like that. And her story overall 
I would I would ask you to look at it in this way. Her story from beginning to end makes a hell of a lot more sense than the story that Wade Robeson is telling. The story Wade Robeson is telling causes you have to do backflips and twists and turns and, uh, you know, leaps of massive leaps of logic and common sense. Hers is exceedingly linear, makes total sense, total evolution. We see exactly why and how it turns. And I found her to be extremely Incredible. I'll give her the John Ziegler blessing like Oprah Winfrey gave uh, the blessing to Wade Robeson. And you know what? I think my blessing on truth-telling is a hell of a lot more credible than Oprah's. Uh, let me give you another example of how credible uh, Brandy is. Brandy wanted me to make sure that I mentioned that she had made a mistake in the interview. She texted me and said, I can't believe I screwed up. I said, even though I gave the right dates, I said that Wade and I are 10 months apart in our ages. I did the math wrong. I don't know why. We're actually seven months apart in our ages. Now, <laughs> again, the way I evaluate credibility, that goes to your credibility. If you're that concerned about something that anyone could have done the math for themselves, you ain't lying. You're trying to get to the truth. You're trying to tell the truth. And that's the essence that I got from her and it's the essence that I got from uh, Taj Jackson, who we do an interview with. It's even longer and more in-depth in hour number two of The World According to Zig podcast, which I hope that you'll uh, check out. Um, look, it's not just her word. Uh, and it's not just Taj Jackson, who was around her at the same time, and other members of the Jackson family. I don't believe Wade Robeson, largely because I know Tom Mesero. Tom Mesero, who's been a guest on this podcast before. Tom Mesero is a brilliant man who was J Michael Jackson's criminal defense attorney in 2005. Tom Mesero would not have put Wade Robeson and his entire uh, immediate family on the stand as the first defense witnesses for Michael Jackson in a criminal trial if he had any inkling at all that Michael Jackson had abused him for one second, not to mention seven years from the year, age of seven to 14. It's not possible. And by the way, if Michael Jackson is a criminal mastermind, which is he would have to be, Michael Jackson wouldn't have let Tom Ezra put Wade Robeson and his family on the stand first at their defense at, uh, for their defense in his criminal trial. Michael would have said, you know, that's maybe not a good idea. Maybe we do something else other than Wade <laughs> because, because it's way, way, way too risky. Not to mention Wade Robeson's incentive at that point, not to, you know, if he was abused by seven years, would be to put his abuser behind bars. But also there's millions of dollars hanging out there now, tens of millions of dollars hanging out there right now at that point because every whole world knows there's blood in the water. And Wade testifies strongly on his behalf. His mother does the same thing. And then when he, and when you heard Brandy talk about what happens when Michael dies, I think that puts a completely different context on the story that's incredibly important. And Taj uh, Jackson uh, provides even more information on that, including emails and text messages that Wade sent him desperately trying to get to Michael Jackson's funeral in 2009. And it's not until 2013 after he loses out on the job when he suddenly decides to change his story. I also mentioned in the Taj Jackson interview that at this very time when Wade Robeson did his Today Show interview in 2013, I was in close contact with Matt Lauer, who did that interview and the Today Show, because I was doing uh, an interview at the almost exactly the same time period. I can't remember if it was before or after. I'd have to check the dates. But 
uh, I got the feeling from the Matt Lauer people that they were very uneasy about whether or not Wade Robeson was telling the truth. And that was back in 2013. And his story is less credible than it even was then. So as far as where we go with this, I have no idea. My wife is getting a very bad sense of deja vu. I've tried to promise her I'm not going to get uh, nearly as deeply involved in this as I have in some other cases. I mean, I, I, I you know, for better or for worse, I, I jumped into the O.J. situation on behalf of the Goldman family. I defended Sarah Palin. I defended Joe Paterno. Later, Jerry Sandusky, the Steubenville High School football coach, Reno Sukosh, Jim Jordan, the congressman from Ohio, Brett Kavanaugh, and now Michael Jackson. And as I'm looking, as, I, as I'm looking at, and I'm not defending Michael Jackson, by the way, on the overall issue. I don't know whether or not Michael Jackson is guilty. I do not know. Uh, I um, I used to think he was. The trial pushed me against that because the evidence was so pathetic against him. And as I've learned more and more, I I think I can see a path where maybe he is not guilty, but that's not what this is about. This is about an unfair documentary that has a liar in it, at least one, maybe two. And in hour number two with, t- uh, with uh, Taj Jackson, we go into great detail about why I'm now suspicious about James Safechuck's story. And Taj believes that James Safechuck is going to crack, that he feels guilty that he was sweating on Oprah Winfrey's show so badly that eventually he's going to say, you know what, I, I made this up for money. I don't believe that, but that's what Taj Jackson believes. But it's interesting, when you look at the group of people, <laughs> this is pathetic, actually, as I'm looking at it now, I don't even like any of these people that I defended or I fought for. Uh, but I believe I was on the side of truth, and that's what I'm about, for better or for worse, the side of truth. And I, if you care about the truth, please make sure you share this interview via social media, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth. It's the only way it's going to get out there and force the media to at least pay attention to Brandy Jackson's story and to Taj Jackson's story. And um, and also make sure you do the same with hour number two, because hour number two has just as much good information as this uh, hour number one with Brandy Jackson. Uh, so please make sure you do that. And also, uh, if you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, do yourself a favor and pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.